And so he speaks about this beautiful fragrance. And I love this portion. And I titled our message, We Are the Fragrance of Christ, based off of verses 14 through 16, where it says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we want to look at what the Bible says in regards to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 as Paul, as a pastor, an evangelist, a missionary, at a church that he spent a year and a half with. He's writing for us, 2 Corinthians, his second letter. There are some scholars who believe that there were more than two letters that Paul had written. We have been given two of these letters, so we're going to deal with the letters that the Lord has given us. But as we pick up in chapter 2, Paul continues his explanation to the Corinthian believers as why he had not returned sooner to them. But what did Paul want to spare them from? We'll get into a little bit more of that in chapter 2 as we look at the 17 verses of chapter 2 this morning. It's a message that I entitled, We Are the Fragrance of Christ from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And in this message, we're going to see Paul's abundant love in verses 1 through 4. Paul's obedient test in verses 5 through 11, and Paul's thankfulness, verses 12 through 17. And so, Father, we pray that you would be with us, Lord, as we look at this letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. We know that we are getting a glimpse of history in the early church, but also, Lord, we understand that history has a tendency to repeat itself. And so, Lord, as Paul had concerns for the church of the first century, many of those same concerns can be found in the church of the 21st century. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to discern these things and how we can rightly apply them to our lives this day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So reaffirm your love, verses 8 through 11. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. 
For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So at first he said, lest the brother be swallowed up in too much sorrow. Kind of putting everything on the brother. Lest the man be swallowed up in too much sorrow. Now, lest Satan should take advantage of us, the church as a whole. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul is not merely asking them to forgive this person, but to reaffirm their love to him. To reaffirm, it's a Greek word that refers to causing someone to come to that place of reality, to know that it's real. It could read like this, 2 Corinthians 2.8, Therefore, I urge you to show that your love for him is real, or that you actually really do love him. I want you to reaffirm your love to him. Paul wrote about this grieving situation to test the church as to whether they would obey the commandments of Christ and his apostles. Just as they had obeyed by putting the man out, now Paul calls them to forgive, just as he had already forgiven this man in the presence of Jesus. Kind of a situation where you find that Paul in prayer, he mentioned this situation to the Lord in prayer, and the Lord had caused Paul to forgive the individual that had harmed the church. Now Paul is calling the church to forgive the man as well. Luke 6, verse 37, Jesus says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. There are times where we need to judge. There are times where we need to bring uh, condemnation, a punishment, we might think. But also, it's important to forgive. By restoring the sinning brother they would keep the root of bitterness from getting planted in their church. And moreover, by forgiving them, it would keep Satan from taking advantage of their church's weakened condition. Lest we be outwitted by Satan. As the scripture in verse 11 in the New King James says, For we are not ignorant of his devices. His devices, it's a Greek word that refers to the thought, those things which have been thought out, the thought process of Satan, as we might be outwitted by Satan himself. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5.8 that we are to be sober, we are to be vigilant, because our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Not that we have a lot of lions around here, but a couple of weeks ago, Lily and I were taking a walk around one of the forest preserves when a lot of uh, activity took place with either police. We didn't see the vehicles. We were out in the middle of the forest preserve, but there were a lot of sirens happening for an extended period of time. And so I could envision several vehicles going by. Well, we happened to be walking in this section where the sirens were hurting the coyotes' ears. 
And we discovered where we were walking down this nice graveled path in this forest preserve that there were actually coyotes on both sides of us because they began to yelp and holler at the sirens that, as dogs or coyotes might do, wolves might do. But we realized that we were actually surrounded and we didn't even know it. We walked a little faster for a little bit there. All right, this isn't a good area to be in. Satan would love nothing better than to see a church fall or individuals within the church to fall. And although Satan's attacks, he attacks the best of believers by neglecting to remain sober, to be vigilant, or to be in sober vigilance, we might say, it makes us vulnerable to attack. Remember, Satan would love to see us fall. So when dealing with our obedience, we find that we might be tested. The idea of this is that we would realize that Christ is our strength and our hope when being tested in this life. And so Paul says, concerning his thankfulness, verses 12 through 17, after dealing with the church's needful restoration of this sending brother, Paul picks up on explaining why he had not yet returned to them. First of all, he speaks about this restless spirit in verses 12 through 13. We get a real good glimpse of the heart of Paul as a missionary. He said, furthermore, 2 Corinthians 2.12, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord, but I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother, but taking leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Paul had planned to sail to the providence of Acacia, where Corinth was located. And then from Corinth, he wanted to make his way north to the providence of Macedonia. And yet he tells us here that when he made it to Troas, which, which was on the other side of the sea, there's a little uh, itmus or peninsula that goes down and hooks down. And so he would have went to Macedonia to the north and to um, Corinth to the south, a little southwest, I guess. But when he made it to Troas, after Titus, he couldn't find Titus there. It made him restless in the spirit. Now, once he made it to Troas, he began to speak the gospel of Christ. The door of ministry was opened there for him. But because he was so restless, because Titus had not returned to him yet, he went on to Macedonia. We get a little glimpse of this in 2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 7, where it says, For indeed, when I came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast, and Paul saying, we were the downcast. We had conflicts on the outside. We had fears within. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So finally, Titus in Macedonia caught up with Paul and the missionary team 
And Titus told them, and we'll look at this when we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 a little more thoroughly, but Titus basically brought a good report from Corinth. And Paul said, it, it lifted up my spirit. I rejoice. And so he speaks about this beautiful fragrance. And I love this portion. And I titled our message, We Are the Fragrance of Christ, based off of verses 14 through 16, where it says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. Though Paul had confessed that his plans had not worked out as he had hoped, he still gave thanks to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. We are led in triumph in Christ. Though plans didn't work out the way Paul had planned, he realized that God had caused them to be victorious through the work of Jesus Christ in their life. This was because Jesus Christ, in Colossians 2.12, it tells us he has disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, because he is the victor. We have victory in him. And God not only allows us to have victory in Christ Jesus, but causes us to become the fragrance of Christ. The fragrance in the New Testament, this Greek word is only used of a fragrant odor that speaks about a sweet smell that would accompany an acceptable sacrifice to God. So we think of a sacrificial offering where the Bible tells us that it was a sweet aroma to God. This is what Paul is saying. We have become the fragrance of Christ. Actually, two different Greek words are used here, but the second Greek word, not only speaking about that fragrance, but it could speak about a person who has become well-pleasing to God. When I think about a sweet-smelling fragrance filling a room, I think about Mary Magdalene when she anointed the feet of Jesus, and the Bible tells us that she took what was her glory, her hair, and used it as a rag to wipe the feet of Jesus when she anointed Jesus. When she did that, she transferred the fragrant oil that was upon Jesus. She transferred that. Just imagine it. She transferred it to her hair, to her hands. If it's on her hair, I'm assuming long hair, that it would get on her clothing. That that fragrant oil not only filled the house that they were in, but it was upon the body of Mary herself. In a similar way, the fragrance of Christ is upon our lives. It testifies of his great love for us, but also to others in this world. Ephesians 5, 2 tells us, though we walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet smelling aroma. We become that fragrance of Christ. But notice it has two distinct responses. To some, we are that fragrance of Christ, but it's the aroma of death to them. They smell Jesus and they think death. 
They hate Christ. To others, they have that sweet-smelling aroma of Christ. It means life to them, of life leading to life. So for some, the aroma or the testimony of Jesus shines through our lives in such a way that it brings life to others. For others, it becomes the aroma of death. Truly, our faith carries life or death circumstances. In this life, I've been called a Christian by others. They see my conduct, the way I maybe help in certain situations, and they recognize me as a Christian. They'll question whether I'm a Christian or not. Or maybe they'll view me simply as a good person. I've also been called a jerk by others as well. So you get, you know, you do good things. And for some, hey, you're a good guy. For others, what a jerk. We bring about different responses. It always depends upon the person whom you're attempting to help. It reminded me of God's Shekinah glory. When Israel first came out of Egypt, before they crossed the Red Sea, the Bible tells us that the Shekinah glory cloud came between Israel and the Egyptians. To the one, to Israel, the cloud gave light. To the other, the cloud gave darkness. And that's what happens as we discover there in Exodus 14, 20, 19 and 20, it says the angel of God went before Israel and the camp of Israel. It moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud went before them, stood behind them. And then, as I said before, the cloud gave darkness to the one and light to the other. And Jesus, he's the true light that shines into the darkness of this world in our hearts that we might be saved. But the work of Jesus Christ, it brings light or death, depending on the person, the individual, how they receive it. In John 3, verses 20 and 21, For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth will come to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done by God. And we have a world now that we discover that those things that had once been hidden in the darkness, we live in a country where a lot of these things are coming to light and people are proud of them. They're proud of their dark activities and bring them to the light. It's a dangerous place for our world to, be, to find itself in. But Paul came to them with a sincere speech. We close out in verses 16 and 17, the last half of 16. Paul says, but who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity. But as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Being the aroma of death or the aroma of life caused Paul to exclaim, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient to declare the word of the Lord to others? The answer truly is no one. Yet Christ is our sufficiency. 2 Corinthians 3 verses 5 and 6 says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers 
of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Our sufficiency is from God. Although Paul knew that they were not sufficient in themselves, he knew that they were not like the others. Even there in the first century, there were those who peddled the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Greek word for pedal, peddling the word of God, it, it can be translated as a uh, someone who is a profiteer, someone who is trying to profit off the word of God. They were trying to make personal gain from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, we're not like those people. We came in sincerity. It's a word that we looked at last week, actually, that speaks about to be exposed to the light of the sun. It's a word that can find in their markets of their day, those who had made maybe a, a vase that had some flaws in it, and they would use wax to kind of smear in the cracks and cover it over. But if you exposed it to the light of the sun to a, a source of heat, what would happen to the wax? The wax would melt. It would reveal what was there. We came in sincerity. We've been tested by the sun. But Paul said we have not merely been tested by the light of the sun that shines in our sky, but the light of the sun, Jesus Christ. Therefore, they conducted themselves with understanding that their works were seen by God. 2 Corinthians 4, 2, Paul would say, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What they did, they did truthfully before others and before God. It may be that the aroma of Christ that we should have upon our lives, that it would help others to see their need of Jesus. Not to be a, an aroma of death, it could, but that we might be an aroma of life to others. So we've seen today, we are the fragrance of Christ here in 2 Corinthians 2. We learned about Paul's abundant love. And sometimes the path to gladness, joy, and love, we learned that sometimes that pathway is through sorrow. Things have to be dealt with. As Paul, as we learn in our second point, Paul's obedient test in verses 5 through 11, that when our obedience is being tested, may we look to Christ to be our strength, to be our hope in every situation. And finally, Paul's thankfulness, verses 12 through 17, may it be that we would be the aroma of Christ to others, that they might see their need for Jesus, people more than ever, need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But there are many who are looking for our government to be that help, to be that hope. But our government will not satisfy. They may provide some answers, but they will never provide the true answer, which is found through faith in Jesus Christ. Would you join me in praying that the Lord would send revival upon this nation? that people's hearts would turn to Jesus unlike any other time in our nation. We need it desperately. 
for you today, whether here or on the radio or listening to Facebook, maybe listening to this message at a later time. It's my hope that you realize that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, that he is the first fruit, the Savior of the world, that you have received this gift of salvation that he has made available for us. So, Father, we thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. And, Lord, we pray that you would help us to deal with the issues in our lives, Lord, that sometimes might be difficult to deal with, but... We deal with them in hopes, Lord, that that root of bitterness will not take root. I pray for anyone, Lord, who knows their need for you today, but have never prayed to receive you as their Savior. I pray, Lord, that they would cry out to you right now by acknowledging to you that they are a sinner and by receiving the gift of salvation that comes only by way of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would be with them now. We ask them in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You got it. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Hey.